Please turn your attention to the Gospel of Mark, chapter 14, as we continue our journey to the cross with Christ through the Gospel of Mark. And we come this morning to chapter 14, verses 1 through 11. Here's what Mark writes. Now the Passover and the festival of unleavened bread were only two days away, and the chief priests and the teachers of the law were scheming to arrest Jesus secretly and kill him. But not during the festival, they said, or the people may riot. While he was in Bethany, reclining at the table in the home of Simon the leper, a woman came with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume made of pure nard. She broke the jar and poured the perfume on his head. Some of those present were saying indignantly to one another, why this waste of perfume? It could have been sold for more than a year's wages and the money given to the poor. And they rebuked her harshly. Leave her alone, said Jesus. Why are you bothering her? She has done a beautiful thing to me. The poor you will always have with you, and you can help them anytime you want, but you will not always have me. She did what she could. She poured perfume on my body beforehand to prepare for my burial. Truly I tell you, wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Then Judas Iscariot, one of the twelve, went to the chief priest to betray Jesus to them. They were delighted to hear this and promised to give him money. So he watched for an opportunity to hand him over. This is God's word. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, we come to your word with great anticipation because we know that you speak to us through your word. We pray that you might open our eyes that we see wondrous things in it. For this we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. This morning we're at the beginning of the Passion Narrative, which will take us right up to Good Friday and Easter. You heard in these verses that the opposition against Jesus has reached a fever pitch, with Passover only two days away. The chief priests and teachers of the law are scheming to arrest Jesus and kill him. In the middle of this, Mark includes this interesting account of an anonymous woman who does something rather remarkable for Jesus. And then Mark comes back to this plot against Jesus. In other words, Mark uses this literary technique like a sandwich. He, he places this account of this woman in the context of a plot against Jesus. And I think he uses this literary technique for the sake of contrast. Like a jeweler... We'll show you a diamond against a black cloth. Because against that backdrop, the contrast will make the diamond shine more brightly. In the same way, this one stands out all the more against the background of this plot to kill Jesus. I think the, the middle of this story is key to understanding this passage. Jesus gives this woman the highest of commendations. It says verse 9, truly I tell you, Wherever the gospel is preached throughout the world, what she has done will also be told in memory of her. Not even Jesus' own disciples get a commendation like this. This unlikely anonymous woman gets the highest of commendations. And I think in this little vignette, Jesus is showing us what he values. You know, we spend the first half of our lives trying to figure out what colleges value so that we can assemble the perfect application so that we can be accepted. And then after that, we spend the rest of our lives trying to figure out what future employers value so that we can assemble the perfect work resume 
so we can get the job. How much more should we be concerned about what Jesus values so that we can see him face to face unashamed? This highest of commendations communicates what Jesus values. We're still talking about this 2,000 years later, what this anonymous woman does. It's a fulfillment of what Jesus says. Mark, I think, includes this, this account as a model for us of what Jesus values. Jesus values costly devotion. And Mark shows us here three things, what that looks like, what costly devotion looks like, why we don't offer it, and then how we can. Three things, what, what this looks like, why we don't offer it, and how we can. So first, what costly devotion looks like. This dinner party described here takes place in Bethany, a small village two miles outside of Jerusalem at the house of Simon the leper. Obviously, he does not currently have leprosy, but he's got a tough nickname. We've all had nicknames that we're glad that have not stuck with us, but apparently this nickname has stuck. He's Simon the leper. It's part of Mark's outsider theme. It's interesting, this exemplary discipleship happens in a small village in the home of Simon the leper by an anonymous woman. Mark doesn't tell us this woman's name, so we don't focus on who she is as much as what she does. If this account is the same account as in John 12, this woman is Mary, the sister of Martha and Lazarus, but, but Mark doesn't tell us her name. So again, we don't focus on who she is, but what she does. In the middle of this dinner party, as the guests are reclining, this woman comes up with an alabaster jar of very expensive perfume. It's a bottle of pure nard. I know that doesn't have the ring of Chanel number no. five. If on Valentine's Day you said, honey, I gave you a, I'm giving you a bottle of pure nard, it might have, that, have the impact that you intend. But Mark tells us that this was a very expensive perfume in that day. It was an imported perfume. It was made from an expensive aromatic oil made from the root of an herb found only in India. Mark tells us how expensive it was. In the Greek, it was 300 denarii. For your reference, a denarius was a day's wages for a common worker. So 300 denarii was equivalent to about a, a year's worth of salary. So perhaps in today's terms, maybe $30,000, $40,000. Now besides our homes, we don't have too many possessions that are worth a year of our salary. So you say, where did this woman get this highly valuable perfume? In those days, women typically couldn't work. They couldn't earn this kind of money. And so most, most commentators suggest that this was probably a family heirloom, this, this perfume, this, this jar of perfume, passed down from mother to daughter, from mother to daughter, and, and so on. So this perfume has great sentimental value. If your mother gave you a, a, a family uh, jewelry, that had been passed down through the generations, it would be very special. You would take great care to keep this jewelry. You'd put it in a special box. You'd only wear it on special occasions, if at all. Maybe you'd put it in a safe deposit box. What does this woman do with this precious family heirloom? She does something utterly extravagant. She breaks this alabaster jar and pours this perfume on Jesus' head, anointing him. And the fact that she breaks this jar means that she's not saving any of it for herself. This is a one-time use. She's not, she can't take this gift back once it's broken. 
Perhaps the equivalent today is if you were to open a $30,000 bottle of wine at a dinner event. I mean, if you did that, you know that would be a very special person and a very special event. And only the, the very wealthy can blow $30,000 in one event. The average person can't do this. This average anonymous woman does exactly this. She spends a year's worth of her salary on Jesus. It is a very costly expression, I would say, of devotion. Whenever we deeply love someone, we are constantly trying to find the best or most extravagant expression of that love. And, and, and the time we see this is when people are getting engaged, right? We see lavish expressions of love at engagement. Uh, people fill up rooms full of, of, of roses. They, they fly their beloved to Paris so they can pop the question there. Um, I've had friends plan elaborate treasure hunts, all these details and, and logistics at the end of which is a, a ring and a question. When I proposed to Tina, I wanted to uh, accomplish a prize, but I wanted to allow her to be able to choose her, her ring. And so I proposed with a cubic zirconium ring and, uh, you know, it looked sparkly. And when she said yes, then we went ring shopping. And I paid for the, the best ring I could possibly afford on a seminary student budget. I, I wiped out my savings, and I was glad to do it. See, in those occasions, it, it's love looking for a costly expression. We, all have all, we have all given costly gifts to someone. What this narrative asks us is, have we ever expressed costly devotion to Jesus? Has he ever received from us the best we have to offer? Has he ever experienced from us sacrificial generosity? That's what Jesus values. Notice he doesn't value religious knowledge or the scribes and the teachers of the law would be top of his list. He, he doesn't value so highly religious service or the disciples would have gotten the highest commendation, but they don't. What Jesus values so highly is costly devotion. The first commandment is that we would love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. Correspondingly, Jesus values costly devotion. Why don't we typically offer this? Well, secondly, let's talk about that. There, there, there were people at the dinner party who did not approve of what this woman did. In fact, they are indignant and they say, why this waste of this perfume? And this word means strong, strong indignation over offensive action. It's, it's the kind of response you have when someone cuts you off on the Garden State Parkway. I mean, you, you respond with indignance. And these people are offended. They're, they don't just disagree with what this woman does. They are indignant. They're, they're offended. They rebuke her harshly. And it's a word that means to growl or to snort or to roar. They're like a pack of angry wolves with this woman for what she does. Mark doesn't identify who this is. He says some of those present, but we can guess. It's likely Jesus' own disciples. The Jewish leaders would not have been in this private dinner party in Bethany. It's Jesus' own disciples. Jesus' own friends and disciples are completely out of step with Jesus. They rebuke the woman, and Jesus has to rebuke them. I think they demonstrate why, the reasons why we don't express costly devotion to Jesus. We have different values than Jesus. 
See, these disciples look at what this woman does and they call it wasteful. Jesus looks at this woman do, what this woman does and calls it beautiful. Completely different values. Because I think they only see the outward appearance and Jesus sees the heart. It's kind of like this. If you were to come to my house and you saw some of the art that I have on my wall, you would seriously question my taste because it's, it's mediocre art. It's, it's simple art. I have it on my wall because I value it because my children made it for me. See, you see like simple, like amateur art. I, I see love and devotion. I, I see the motivation behind that art. See, in the same way, the disciples see the outward appearance and they say $30,000 wasted in one event? And Jesus sees the motive. He sees this costly devotion and he is moved. The disciples have different values than Jesus. They also have different priorities than Jesus. They, they say, this is a waste. This perfume could have been sold for a year's wages and that money given to the poor. And it, it sounds good and it sounds virtuous. But Jesus says, the poor you will always have with you. They, you can help them anytime. You will not always have me. The disciples' priority is the poor, and Jesus says the priority must be him. And it's, a, it's the most subtle difference of priorities. Because Jesus is not saying that caring for the poor is unimportant. All through Scripture, God calls us to care for the poor, the, the widow and the orphan. And in Jesus' ministry, he cared for the least and the lost and the left out. Jesus is not saying that care for the, for the poor is unimportant. He is saying that he, is a, he has a priority even over the poor. Because the heart of the gospel is Jesus. Not social causes, not even the best of social causes. You see, care for the poor flows from the gospel. It's not the gospel itself. It flows from the gospel. And so Jesus here is talking about priorities. Because if we take a good cause and we make it more important than Jesus, then the gospel becomes a mere social gospel and we lose the gospel. The power that drives care for the poor and all these uh, uh, social causes. But they're not the gospel itself. Jesus is the gospel. He has to have priority. And the disciples at this moment have a different sense of priorities than Jesus. And in the end, they love something more than Jesus himself. You get the sense as you watch this episode that the disciples are uh, not focused on Jesus, but on the cost of the gift. You get the sense that their heads are more turned by, turned by the money than by Jesus. In the parallel account in John 12, it was Judas who objected that the perfume should have been sold and the money given to the poor. John then says he did not say this because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. As keeper of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. See, greed is one of the reasons why Judas betrayed Jesus. Mark doesn't tell us why Judas betrayed Jesus, but in Matthew's account, Judas goes to the chief priest and he says, what are you willing to give me if I hand him over to you? So they counted out for him 30 silver coins, and from then on, Judas watched for an opportunity to hand him over. Judas loved money more than he loved Jesus. One commentator says of Judas' response here in our passage, Judas with calculator in hand, a man who knew the price of everything and the value of nothing, instantly calculated the waste. Jesus wasn't the only one who loved money more than Jesus. 
Notice Mark says they rebuked her harshly. Not he, they rebuked her harshly. There's more than Judas here. And when we love other things more than Jesus, there will be no costly devotion. There will only be calculating. How much should I give? It can't be too much. Just calculating. But no costly devotion. In Luke 14, Jesus tells a parable about people being invited to a great banquet representing the kingdom of God. And they decline the invitation with the following excuses. I just bought a field and I must go see it. I bought five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. I just got married so I can't come. And what they're all saying is something that they, they love something else more than God and his kingdom. And the very subtle thing is these are all good things. A field, a pair of oxen, marriage. Now I always come back to John Piper's penetrating reflection on these verses. He says, the greatest enemy of hunger for God is not poison but apple pie. It is not the banquet of the wicked that dulls our appetite for heaven, but endless nibbling at the table of the world. For all the ill that Satan can do, when God describes what keeps us from the banquet table of his love, it is a piece of land, a yoke of oxen, and a wife. The greatest adversary of love to God is not his enemies, but his gifts. And the most deadly appetites are not for the poison of evil, but for the simple pleasures of earth. For when these replace an appetite for God himself, the idolatry is scarcely recognizable and almost incurable. What is holding us back from costly devotion? Is it that we love something else more than Jesus? Is it that one of these good things, these good gifts that God has given us to enjoy, have we made it an ultimate thing, a God replacement? I think we can find out what is of greatest value to us by, by looking at who or what gets the most of our money. See, our checkbooks don't lie. Follow our money, and we will see what is of most value to us. And if we value something more than Jesus, even a good cause like caring for the poor, that will keep us from costly devotion. Everything that we give to Jesus will be a waste. It'll all be calculated. No costly devotion. So then third and last, how can we offer Jesus this kind of costly devotion? Well, let me ask this question. What motivates this anonymous woman to break a $30,000 jar of perfume and anoint Jesus? It's not religious obligation. It's not duty. No one is forcing her to do this. This is completely voluntary. This is of her own accord. I would suggest to you that she sees something about Jesus that moves her to this costly devotion. She sees Jesus' ultimate worth. She might be the first person to recognize the significance of his coming death. Jesus says she pours this perfume on him to prepare his body for burial. And then he says, wherever the gospel is preached, what she has done will also be told. Jesus here is talking about the gospel before he even dies. He is saying that his death is at the heart of the gospel. The gospel is this, that Jesus dies for our sins in our place as our substitute that we can be forgiven of our sins because of his death. The gospel is this, that Jesus shows to us extravagant love 
by pouring out something far more valuable than perfume for our sakes. He pours out his own blood for us. And therefore, Jesus sees this woman as a picture of someone who gets the gospel. Jesus sees this woman as someone who understands and responds to the gospel. Jesus pours out his blood for her. And in response, she pours out her treasure for him. My friends, it's what it looks like when a life is transformed by the gospel. Likewise, the Macedonian church, in response to the gospel, welled up with sacrificial generosity. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 8, in the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability. It's what this woman does in Mark 14. The letter to the Romans lays out the, God, the good news of the gospel for 11 chapters. It's what God has done for us in Christ. And the response to the gospel begins in chapter 12 with these words. Therefore, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. The proper response to the gospel is to offer our money, and not just our money, our very selves, our, our bodies to God. How can we offer this kind of costly devotion to Jesus? By seeing his costly devotion to us. By seeing how he poured out his blood for us, something far more valuable than a $30,000 jar of perfume. He poured out his own blood for us. And my friends, evidence that you understand that, you understand what he has done for us, is that you're willing to pour out your life for him. Isaac Watts captures the response to the gospel in these words. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the Prince of Glory died, my richest gain I count but loss, and poor contempt on all my pride. Were the whole realm of nature mine, that were a present far too small. Love so amazing, so divine, demands my soul, my life, my all. What did it look like for you to express costly devotion to Christ? This woman breaks a family heirloom. A bottle of perfume on Jesus. The widow, a few chapters ago, gives to Jesus these two mites. All that she has, she puts into the offering. The boy gives his five loaves and two fish. Are you sacrificially generous with Jesus because of what he has done for you? Have you ever given to the church the best of your time, talents, and treasure? Or do we give the best of our resources to our kids and our career and the church gets the leftovers? In our congregational meeting, I'm going to talk about our five-year strategic plan, and I hope you'll see that there are opportunities to prioritize our church with your resources for Christ's sake because of what he has done for us. Jesus loves our costly devotion. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for what you have done for us on the cross. 
Lord, this woman gets it. She understands. She prepares your body for burial, and she pours out her treasures at your feet because she understands that you poured out your treasures for us. You, you poured out your very lifeblood for us. Lord, help us to take that in and understand it not just with our heads, but in our hearts in such a way that we are willing to pour out our lives for you because we recognize that there is no greater thing than knowing you. For it's in your name that we pray this. Amen.